city councilman, um, a city council person from the 10th district in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, we have 15 councilmanic districts. And Heather Hutt is the council member for the 10th district, which is sort of the west side of Los Angeles, where I used to live. I now live in San Pedro, California. But she arranged for the city council to provide me a proclamation uh, on receiving this award. It was very nice and very thoughtful of the council member. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations. And uh, what an honor that you have a little bit of time to spend with us here. Uh, of course, recording this on Friday and it's playing on Saturday. Uh, you know, I... I'm going to hold everybody off on finding out exactly what your connection is to the MLK national holiday because it's, it's significant. And I will tell everybody who's listening that Ambassador Rhodes, uh, was the ambassador to Zimbabwe. At one point, interestingly, the first black ambassador uh, from the United States to that country. That kind of came as a surprise to me. Uh, he served as special assistant to, to President Ronald Reagan in intergovernmental affairs and also, uh, I believe, worked uh, in the George Bush administration as well. So uh, before we get to all the politics and how you came to work at high, such high levels of government, can you take us back to your childhood? You told me before we started that you uh, were born in New Orleans and uh, Catholic family, I'm presuming, uh, went into seminary. Tell us about your childhood, if you would. Be happy to, Mr. Palmer. I grew up in uptown New Orleans. New Orleans is divided into wards as opposed to councilmanic districts. I can't tell you how many wards there are now since I've been away such a long time. But I went to uh, Catholic schools my entire uh, elementary school life. I, I grew up in Holy Ghost Parish, and Holy Ghost Parish was run by the Holy Ghost Fathers. Uh, I was an altar boy, and I guess by being an altar boy, it got me not only interested in deepening my faith, but I also thought that I had a calling to the priesthood. So after eighth grade, uh, I was accepted to Immaculata Seminary. Now I gotta tell you, in elementary school, the teachers there, with rare exception, were sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, mm -hmm. which was Catherine Drexel's uh, order. Yes. And uh, I guess you know the story of Catherine Drexel. She came from a very wealthy family out of Philadelphia. Uh, many years later, as an investment banker, at, once I left the White House, I competed against guys from Drexel Burnham. <laughs> but, but the nuns uh, really were incredible in terms of uh, teaching us morals, uh, teaching us how to read, write, count, think, and express our thoughts, which was only further refined by the time I got to Immaculata Seminary, mm -hmm. uh, which was run by the Maris Fathers, who were absolutely fabulous. They were, were a religious order, and I think they did a lot of missionary work uh, in Africa um, and throughout the South. Um, so growing up in New Orleans was 
sort of interesting because it was when I was growing up until I guess about seventh grade when I was 12, the uh, South was segregated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, a different time, different world. Uh, I can remember seeing the white only signs for restrooms, drinking fountains, even Catholic schools. Um, we weren't uh, the kids from Holy Ghost Elementary School and all the other African-American parishes in New Orleans were not allowed to compete in basketball Mm -hmm. against schools that were uh, Catholic schools that were predominantly, that were white. Yeah. Uh, There's no need to say predominantly because they were white versus black. Yeah. And those were about, there were no other minorities that I can think of when I was growing up other than black people. Yeah. Um, the seminary really changed my life. Yeah. And you were there for three years, right? I was there from, um, ninth, 10th and 11th grade. And in retrospect, uh, I'm a fast forward here. Um, after leaving wall street in New York, the firm that I worked with, which was Smith Barney sent me out to open an office here in Los Angeles because there was a lot of opportunities to uh, underwrite bonds in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was out here, uh, Bishop Carl Fisher, who has since passed, had me nominated to the Cardinals Financial Advisory Board. Okay. There's a financial advisory board in every diocese in the United States, and I was a member of the board. But I remember having dinner with uh, Cardinal Mahoney one night, who asked me, why did I leave the seminary? And I said, I left the seminary in 1968, which was sort of the peak of the black power movement. Yes. And I thought that a Catholic priest needed to be very much involved in the social affairs of the parish and the community. Uh, and I struggled with that my whole third year in the seminary. The new um, catechism came out during that time as a function of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. And my spiritual director, a wonderful priest, Maris, named Blanchard, Father Blanchard, uh, he worked with me for that whole year and tried to define how you know if you have a vocation to the priesthood. And what we finally realized was that, now remember this is 1968, uh, what we finally uh, came to the conclusion that you know you have a vocation to the priesthood if you can be happy and feel fulfilled, Mm -hmm. joy, by administering the seven sacraments only. My thinking was I wanted to go out and change the world, get involved in social change. And what Father Blanchard helped me realize is if I had been ordained as a Holy Ghost father, one day I could be in a metropolitan area doing those kinds of things. And the next day 
be sent to some remote village in Tanzania mm -hmm. where that opportunity wouldn't be possible. Uh, so based on that, um, I left the seminary. And what was funny was uh, I was told that I might be better off being a social worker. I guess being an investment banker is about as far away from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not but a lot of not a lot of crossover there. Interestingly, you left the seminary the same year that Martin Luther King was assassinated. I don't know. That's, that's just a, that's a coincidence. I mean, obviously, it's just a uh, the same year. Um, my uh, my guest is Ambassador Steve Rhodes, and you've learned now about his upbringing, his time in seminary, his work with uh, in, in Los Angeles in the financial sector. And I want to make sure, uh, Ambassador Rhodes, we get the story about the signing of this, um, you know, a proclamation by President Reagan into law in 1983. So can you bring us, I know we're zipping forward quite a bit of time here, but I want to make sure we give this enough time. And so tell us what was going on, The perhaps, I guess, pressure, for lack of a better word, that President Reagan was feeling both to sign this and not sign this um, in 1983, in his first term. Well, as, as you've already said, Mr. Palmer, uh, from 1981 to 19 to February of 1983, I worked for President uh, Reagan. After the midterm elections, Mr. Bush asked me to head up his domestic policy shop, <clears throat> and I did. So. Uh, I was on a trip with Mr. Bush on one occasion. This was um, late October. And when we landed in uh, at Andrews Air Force Base, there was a message for me to call Lee Atwater. Mm -hmm, uh, yes. Lee and I were good friends. Whenever we were in town at the White House at the same time, after work, we'd go for long runs and talk politics and the rest. So I got this message to be sure and meet Lee at the White House before I went home. And it was early evening. So by the time I got to the White House, it must have been, I don't know, 7 o'clock. Um, so Lee was still there. And he told me that the working group that had been following the Martin Luther King holiday bill uh, voted that the president not sign it. Mm -hmm. Now, this bill had been introduced every year by a, a, a fraternity brother of mine, but we, although we didn't go to the same school, John Conyers, and he's several years my senior, he, he actually introduced this bill every year. It had no success. Stevie Wonder even wrote a song to help lobby on behalf of the holiday called Happy Birthday. Yeah. So... Um, Lee tells me what the, uh, so the working group, uh, the way the working group works is whenever there's a bill on the Hill, uh, the departments and agencies that would be affected by that bill, uh, usually meet with the legislative affairs office at the white house to work the bill so that if it's passed, it's in a fashion that the president can sign. Yeah. 
we had a huge working group because a holiday affects every department and agency in the federal government. Mm-hmm. So uh, the day that uh, I came back from my trip with the vice president, um, the working group voted that the president not sign the bill. Lee tells me, it got past me, Steve, it's up to you. Yeah. So I'm, I think and then 31... Oh, I'm part, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, Ambassador Rhodes, but the, the, the main reason that for that was financial, right? I think uh, from the notes I got, President Reagan didn't think giving everybody a day off, that, that would hurt the economy or it, financially it would make sense. Is that Was that his primary reason How, or the well, reason the for, the, for the people? Really, yeah. The president really hadn't uh, expressed uh, an opinion one way or the other at this point. Okay. The, the working group used that as a, a reason. And there were also people within the working group who uh, referred to um, investigations by J. Edgar Hoover, who said that Martin Luther King was a communist. Uh, those were the kinds of reasons mm-hmm. that uh, people objected to the bill. Um, so uh, I labored that night, tried to figure out what to do. And the next day, uh, Vice President Vice President Bush usually arrives at the White House around 7 o'clock because the national security briefing would start at 7.30. Uh, when he arrived, I was in his office, and he said, Hi, Stever. What are you doing here? And I said, Mr. Bush, uh, i got to tell you, I'm sorry to report this, but I'm going to have to resign. And he, at first he thought I was kidding, and then he said, Well, what are you talking about? And I explained to him that, look, Mr. Bush, we've been on the wrong side of affirmative action. And I saw how that got confused with quotas. We did not do as much as we could with voting rights. If the president follows the the recommendation of the working group, he's not going to sign this bill. And unfortunately, this good man, President Reagan, is going to go down in history as a racist. Mm-hmm. And it'll divide the country. And I said, I don't want to be a part of that, and I don't think it's in the best interest of the president or the country. So we go to the national security briefing, and as we're leaving that, uh, the president said, hey, Stever, uh, come with me. We're going to go see Mike. And by Mike, he meant Mike Deaver. Mm-hmm. Mike Deaver was the reason that I was at the White House to begin with. He was the only consultant that I ever hired when I was working with Dart Industries. This is Justin Dart. Uh, uh, In my career as a manager at Dart Industries. So um, we go into Mike's office and the vice president says, okay, Steve, tell Mike what you told me. So I went through the same thing and I, and I added at this point, Mike, look, this is the first time in the history of the new world that we have an opportunity to honor a black man who brought about significant social change in our country in a nonviolent fashion. If the president doesn't sign this bill, he's going to be viewed as a racist. And you and I both know that isn't the case. So Mike looked at me. Mike's office was in the West Wing. And he leaned over to a door, opened the door, and that door opened into the Oval Office. And Mike said, well, Steve, if you feel that strongly, 
So tell, let's go tell the man. So we walk into the Oval Office, uh, and it's the Vice President of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, Michael K. Beaver, and me, yours truly. Uh, and I go through the same thing with the President and explain to him that regardless of all these other reasons people have come up with why he shouldn't sign the bill, the overriding reason for him signing it is because of what Dr. King did for the country. You know, the elimination of Jim Crow laws made the world, and the United States in particular, a much better place for black people and people of color. Had it not been for Martin Luther King, uh, the United States would be a real different place. No one can determine how things would have turned out or how things would be today, uh, or whether or not the civil rights bills of the 1960s would have passed. Yes. But because of Martin Luther King and all the other civil rights leaders at the time, the only thing that they could all agree on was the elimination of Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. And thank God for Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. So that was enough to convince the president, was it? That was enough. And I'll tell you another uh, interesting part of this is um, once the president looked up, at, looked up at me and said, well, Steve, I'll sign it. Mike Deaver told me that I was going to be the action officer on this event for the president, and we had to have everything ready in 72 hours. Um, I objected because at this point, I was on the vice president's staff, and Faith Willsey should have been the action officer. Mike said Faith didn't come here and brief the president on the action that he should take. You did. So get done. Um, so I go back to my office and I get Carrie Reed, uh, who you talked to, as well as Hope Keating, uh, and the rest of my office. Uh, and in 72 hours, uh, now remember, this is before emails. So yeah. <laughs> they, they, they had to address um, uh, mailgrams to people all over the country inviting them to an event that was going to take place at the White House in 72 hours. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and in the, this is the first time in the history of the White House that a bill signing took place in the Rose Garden and the first time that an assistant to the vice president was an action officer on an event with the president. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the staff that I had, Terry Reed, Hope Keating, they were outstanding. Yes. 600 people in the Rose Garden. Wow. Ambassador Rhodes, I'm, I'm only interrupting because we're, we're down to our last three minutes, and the story is fascinating. The, the, the thought that keeps going through my mind is they need to make a movie about this. <laughs> it's just, uh, it sounds like one of those cool plots of a movie, but let me ask you uh, instead in the time that we have remaining, once the, the, the president did sign this into law, how, how was, was the public response? Was it largely favorable, or did he catch, catch any flack about this? You know, Mr. Palmer, as far as I know, um, the president's decision was well-received. Now, there were states that did not honor the uh, holiday 
as soon as it was made a federal holiday. Uh, the signing was November 2nd, 1983. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure what year it actually went into effect on the federal calendar. But there were some states that objected to the holiday. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, every state in the United States does observe the Martin Luther King birthday holiday, which actually uh, was celebrated this Monday, January 15th, which was his actual birthday. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, it doesn't happen that, happen that way. It's always the third Monday of January, right? Correct. And, uh, well, it's, it, it's a great honor to tell this story to our, our listeners. This is a story that, as Terry Reed you know, told me on the phone, that really needs to get out. And I don't know if you ever have a plan to write a book or uh, if this uh, seems like it's a, it's a great story. And, and I'm, I'm doubly proud that a, a great Catholic man who spent time in seminary was the one who uh, convinced uh, what I consider to be one of our best presidents ever, President Reagan, to, to sign this law that, uh, and something that we celebrate every year. Um, if you're just tuning in, my guest uh, has been Ambassador Steve Rhodes. Again, I want to thank Terry Reed for suggesting this interview. And this past Tuesday, if you missed the beginning of the interview, uh, Ambassador Rhodes was honored by his alma mater, Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, uh, with the Martin Luther King Jr. Interfaith Celebration and Award uh, as a tribute for doing what we just talked about. And he also was honored by the city of Los Angeles uh, as well. So I really only have enough time to say congratulations, Ambassador Rhodes, and thank you for your time. And uh, we're just so happy that we've been able to share this story on Catholic Radio. Thank you for your time today. Mr. Palmer, it's been a little slice of heaven. <laughs> I think that's the first time anybody's ever said that after an interview with me. So none, none, uh, but certainly the first time an ambassador has said it. Uh, thanks again. Uh, and God bless you. And, uh, thank you for your witness and, um, all that you've done to, to change this country. And so God bless you. Th- thank you very much, Ambassador Rhodes. Thank you. And, uh, thanks also to Cecil. Thank you for listening. And I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of, uh, your weekend. Uh, and thank you for your support also of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, God bless you. Danny McDonald with Omnia House Buyers is a new sponsor here on KTH 910 AM. He's a longtime supporter of local Catholic radio on the Guadalupe Radio Network. He and his family are active members of St. John Paul II Parish in Denton. He's interested in helping people by offering cash payments for homes and other properties in any condition. To learn more about Omnia House Buyers and to find out if they can help, they're located online at omniahousebuyers.com and they can be reached via phone at 940-222-5896. That's 940-222-5896. Start your new year off with true healing. If you've experienced trauma from sexual abuse or assault, you're not alone. One in three women and one in four men have experienced this. You can find deeper healing through Dawn of Mercy, offering healing for men and women in English and Spanish. Our next Women's English Healing Group starts the first week of February. To learn more and to register for the next group, go to www.dawnofmercy.org. And good afternoon, and thank you so much for tuning in to KATH 910 AM, your local Catholic radio station on the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is the interview of the week, the KATH 910 AM interview of the week. And we have a few local shows every week, and this is a pre-recorded one every Saturday where we introduce you to two 
folks or one person locally in the DFW area who's doing something awesome in our Catholic community here in North Texas. We're very blessed to have a very vibrant community. And uh, Dave hosts this. Dave Palmer, our executive director, hosts this most of the time. But occasionally he lets me step in and do a few myself, and that is the case today. My name is Cecil Anderson. I'm the North Texas assistant of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Super happy to spend my Saturday with you all, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. I love getting to talk to all of the Catholic schools we have across both dioceses here in DFW. And this one is a special one in Dallas, Mount St. Michael uh, Catholic School. And I'm excited because we have their principal, who's still relatively new, who gets to come in, but she's not new to the school. We're going to learn all about her history at the school and all about Mount St. Michael. If this is your first time hearing about this school, please keep listening. We always want to keep your options open for your kids. This is the time of the year where you're figuring out where are we going to go next year. So keep listening. The website, msmcatholic.org org msmcatholic.org and our without further ado let me introduce our guest melissa castro the path the um sorry the principal i almost upgraded you there <laughs> the principal of mount st michael catholic school in dallas welcome to the program well thank you very much Cecil. of I'm course glad to be here well we're so happy to have you and uh, this is a special uh, school too and i know dave would have loved to have done this interview just was unable to this time because his kids went there i think you said you taught one of his daughters is I that right <laughs> I did. That's so exciting. Uh, so it's fun to kind of come full circle because that was a while ago. And uh, you've been at the school for 25 years, according to the website. Is that accurate still? No, it's now 28 years. 28 this years. This is my 28th That's- year at Mount St. Michael. <laughs> That's so awesome. So let's first, let's talk about your background, how you got into education in the first place. You uh, studied at Franciscan, which is such a cool experience, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. And then how you ended up at Mount St. Michael. Well, I, um, I've always known I wanted to be a teacher and from the time I was very young. And so I went to Franciscan University and got my degree in elementary education and specific learning disabilities. My inspiration was one of my sisters who had a lot of academic and learning challenges. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's the reason I got into teaching. I, my, actually my family, went to Mount St. Michael. All of my sisters went to school there. I was too old by the time the school started, but all of my sisters went to school there and and my brother as well. The school actually started in 1986 by the Christian Community of God's Delight, which is a um, prayer group that has been meeting on the campus for for 40 years now. And so my family was a part of that prayer group. And so um, the school, to me, is a family. Mm -hmm. It's my home. It's where I have um, been a part of. All of the school um, families, the original families, were people that I grew up with. And so um, coming back to teach, at the time it was called Principe's Community School, and coming back to teach there was just the right thing. The Lord brought me back home to teach and most of my time there, I taught um, second grade with a few years with fourth grade and a third, fourth combination class. And um, I can't imagine being anywhere else. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. I mean, it's not very often that you find a teacher or now a principal who has been at a school for that long and has that many connections, but obviously the passion is there, which I'm sure all of the students and the families there really feel that. And that must be such a beautiful thing for the school to have. Uh, so thank you for your years of dedication. And I love when God shows people very early on, like you knew you wanted to be a teacher. He was very clear. That's so beautiful to have that very clear. This is my vocation. I'm to be a teacher. Um, and that transition to principal, how did that come about? Did the job come up and you apply? Were you asked? Like, how did that transition happen a couple of years ago? Oh, that's a great question. This has been a preparation for a while that has been going on. And um, the previous principal was um, needed to step down. And so the it was available. And then I, I was asked if I'd like to be the next principal. And at the time, um, you just know it's the right path mm. when it's God's will. And the entire path was just made clear. It was, it was the right time. It was um, the perfect orchestrated time that the Lord brought for me to be principal at this point in time. It's only a timing that God can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it's obvious as to why they would approach you. Um, but I'm sure you're probably, you know, flattered. Maybe I don't know if you were surprised or not when that happened. And um, I'm sure very honored. But of course, it's important to discern these things. But clearly, uh, it was the choice that God wanted you to make. And now you is this your, your second year, like your fourth semester in as principal? This is my, um, I actually started mid-year. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, in... Uh, two and a half years ago. So this is my second full year Perfect. as principal. That's yes. awesome. Well, okay. So obviously it's a little bit different than, you know, being around the, the, the second graders, <laughs> but how are you enjoying it so far? Again, you know, if it's God's will, it, then it's the right thing. It has been the easiest transition, um, a lot easier than I thought it would be. And um, I surprisingly do not miss the classroom as much as I thought I would. Oh, that's good. So, but the opportunity to um, minister to all of the students and the families and guide the teachers so that they can do their best and provide the best education for these children is, um, is what's most important. That's Beautiful. And I'm, you know, having a uh, principal who spent so long in the classroom, not just in a classroom in general, but at this school is, I'm sure you can just relate to a lot of the things that the teachers might, the teachers might come to you for. Um, so that's really a beautiful opportunity. We're talking about Mount St. Michael Catholic School in Dallas. They're on Davis Street in Dallas. You can visit their website, msmcatholic.org. It is, uh, it goes up to eighth grade. We're going to talk about kind of the levels of education that they have going on there in just a minute. But we're talking to Melissa Castro, who is the principal principal of Mount St. Michael. She's been the principal for a few years now and was a teacher for many years before that. Um, and I, let's just tell people about Mount St. Michael and what makes it so unique and beautiful. Uh, we talked a little bit beforehand. It goes up to eighth grade, but you all have start pretty young too. We do. We actually have a toddler Montessori program for 18 months to three years old. And this is relatively new. This is only our fourth year okay. to have the toddlers. Um, and it's such a unique experience. It's more than just childcare and daycare. It's during the school hours. So it's open from 745 to 3. 
Um, but it provides in, an independence that we want for our children mm-hmm. and that nurturing environment. And then that feeds into our um, Montessori program. So our three, four, and five-year-olds is a Montessori curriculum, and they are in mixed um, ages. And then our first through eighth grade is a classical curriculum. We are actually only one of two classical Catholic schools in the diocese. Is it St. Paul's? The other one, St. Paul Classical Academy. That's awesome. So for, you know, terms like Montessori and classical are thrown out, and maybe someone who's listening is like, I don't, I kind of have an idea of what that is, but can you kind of explain first Montessori? What does that look like for the littles? Well, Montessori um, was developed by Maria Montessori in Italy, and it provides a child's opportunity to the the teacher is a guide in guiding the child to discovery and to learning and so um it's very independent each child's learning is developmental depending on that particular child and where they are developmentally So we have three, four, and five years old all in the same classroom. So the three-year-olds, they are learning practical life, how to spoon things, how to, um, the beginnings of language. And then, um, and they learn from those who are older as they're, as they're, um, witnessing and observing what an older student does. The, um, Four and five-year-olds, they are going deeply involved in language and in mathematics. And um, the children learn how to count into the thousands as a four and five-year-old. Hopefully they don't learn the wheels, uh, the, the t- a thousand, you know, bottles of, you know, soda <laughs> no. on the wall. That might, that would be a very long song that into the thousands. <laughs> At four or five years old, because they probably would want to sing the entire thing. <laughs> right, right. But the in the older students, they mentor and they help the younger students as well. You know, I grew up homeschooled and I uh, really enjoyed being able to hang out with kids of all ages was something that I think is something that's a benefit mm-hmm. to homeschooling and something like Montessori where the kids are getting to learn from the other kids. And it is it can be taken, you know, at a slightly different pace um, for each of the kids because they'll develop a little bit differently, right. which is really beautiful to recognize the unique you know, person of every child that they have. And then they get to transition into a classical education. And has Mount St. Michael's always been classical for that age group? We have not. This is, um, I guess we're about 20 years since we transitioned into the classical curriculum. Mm. And so, um, and really with the classical and with the Montessori as well, we look at truth, beauty, and goodness in all things, um, creation and um, what has been um, created and looking at the great works that have been written, really deciding, you know, what is the purpose of everything? Mm. Mm. You know, getting the students to independently make their own uh, conclusions and be able to eloquently speak what is truth. 
to be able to reason clearly. My understanding of classical education, it's, you know, teaching how to think, not what to think. And it's very much just, you know, being able to defend what it is that you believe and be able to reason things out. And when you do reason, use reasoning instead of just mere, you know, emotions on things, you will find the truth. And of course, the truth being the Catholic Church, which is obviously also instilled in the school. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Um, our faith is so important to us and it is, it permeates throughout all aspect of our curriculum, all aspect of our school. You can see it everywhere. Um, religion is not just one class. It is, um, talked about and explored and discovered and becomes a personal relationship, um, through all classes. We also have teach Latin starting with first graders. And so um, we have the privilege of um, partnering and using the UD curriculum for the classical as well. They are just writing um, curriculum. They've been amazing and have really helped and been instrumental in, um, in some of our curriculum most recently. And so we have been, um, they have their sixth grade history curriculum written. We're waiting on that seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> Soon then, to be coming. <laughs> hopefully. And then um, the Latin curriculum is um, for first through fifth grade oh, as well. Awesome. And if anyone's listening, my parents did also have me do Latin at the time. I definitely was like, why are we doing this? This is very annoying. But I do refer to it quite often. It really just helps you understand the basis of language in general. So it is a very handy thing. It may be a dead language, but it is uh, very beautiful to have that foundation. So that they're getting it that young is quite incredible. We're talking to Melissa Castro on the interview of the week here on 910 AM. Uh, she is the principal of Mount St. Michael Catholic School. MSMCatholic.org is the website. MSMCatholic.org. And if this conversation is intriguing you, we're going to give more information about how you can maybe go do an open house, a tour, or meet with someone to discuss if this is an option for your kids. Again, they start at 18 months with a Montessori program, and it goes all the way to eighth grade. The first to eighth graders are in that classical education program. Um, and I, I'm just curious, I was just thinking, because you mentioned early on in your introduction that when you started, it was not called Mount St. Michael. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so you were there then when it changed. Uh, can you tell, do you remember anything about why um, Mount St. Michael was chosen as the name? That's a great question. So when at the beginning it was Prince of Peace Community School and, um, and a part of the Christian community of God's delight. And then in, um, there was a lot of confusion because there's Prince of Peace Catholic that started yes. soon after. <laughs> yes, in Plano. And, <laughs> in Plano and Prince of Peace, um, Episcopal mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we would get each other's mail quite gotcha. often or phone calls. And so for our 25th anniversary, we, um, we decided to change our name to Mount St. Michael. We're on the campus of Mount St. Michael with the Sisters of Our Lady of Charity and Good Shepherd. And, um, and it was in part uh, to honor them as well. And so, um, so we made that change 
to Mount St. Michael Catholic School. That's awesome. Uh, and you kind of brought up the, the campus and it is a very beautiful campus if you've not ever been there uh, before in Dallas. Uh, uh, it's kind of enclosed, um, got beautiful grounds. And uh, you were talking earlier about how you focus on the, the good, the true and the beautiful and the education. And I know for the last few years, there's been a special program, an ag- agricultural program that I've heard a lot about. We've done some interviews about it in the past, but can you talk a little bit about what that is and where it's at now? Certainly. We started about um, four years ago what we called Farm to Fable, and um, that was the original initiative. We had a group of families build a barn, and we've had some animals that we have um, taken on. And it's taken a while for the program to really get off, but this year has been the best in the program that I've seen. All of the students, first through eighth, participate in the agricultural studies program. It's a part of the school day. We have um, six sheep and about 40 chickens. Oh, my goodness. And (laughs) a guard dog for the sheep, a great Pyrenees, and some geese that guard the chickens. And the students help take care of the animals in the morning. Each class takes a different day. And so they'll feed the animals, they'll take care of all the needs, collect eggs. We typically get two to three dozen eggs a day. They're um, free-range chickens. Awesome. And um, with this program, it's more than just taking care of the animals. It's looking at um, creation, looking at all of the aspects that go into um, into our food even, the students are amazed at all that goes into um, into what gets put on our table. It's mm-hmm. more than just going to the grocery store and purchasing food. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, someone has to do this work for all that food in the grocery exactly. store. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And um, we have gardening. The ladies that run the Ag Studies program, we have a family that helps take care of the um, all aspects of our agricultural studies program. And they, um, the kids have learned how to compost. They've learned how to collect rainwater. They've made, they've gardened, they've made pumpkin butter. And, um, we also have some bees. We have a beekeeping club as well. That's awesome. And so we have about eight hives, um, on the far end of the property. And last summer we collected our first harvest of honey and it's amazing. It was the sweetest honey I've ever tasted. That's so cool. So hopefully we'll get some more honey this, um, this summer you harvest in the summer. Gotcha. So, but it's, it's an amazing program. I actually had a parent, um, email me and she was helping out one day with the ag studies program and i just want to give her comment on what the program was about she said she has observed children applying their moral and virtue training in real time the farm can be messy but that's what life is like and it's our christian work as co-creators and caretakers um to take care of nature and uh, she just saw so much good and beauty in 
doing this in this mini version of community, she called it. That is beautiful. Uh, We're talking about Mount St. Michael Catholic School in Dallas. If you've never heard of it before, they have bees. They have an agricultural club that gets to take care of some, uh, you know, 40 chickens are all, I hope those are all named, of course, all 40. (laughs) You can tell them apart, right? (laughs) You're like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, we're talking to their principal, Melissa Castro, who's been at the school for now 28 years, uh, many of those years as a teacher, but now as serving as their principal. You can visit their website, msmcatholic.org, msmcatholic.org. And we'll talk a little bit again about how to get in contact with them, about scheduling a meeting if you think this is a good fit for your kids. Um, But speaking about that, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, If someone is listening going, this sounds amazing. I want to explore this for my kids for school next year. um, What is the first step for them to take? The first step would be to call our admissions director. Her name is Judy Saldana, and um, the school phone number is 214-337-0244, or you could email her at j.saldana, S-A-L-D-A-N-A, at msmcatholic.org, and she gives personalized tours any day of the week, um, all day during the school day, she'll give a tour of the entire school and then also give an explanation of our school. Anybody is welcome to come and join us for Mass. We have daily Mass every day at 8 o'clock in the Sisters Chapel. And, um, and so we would love for anybody who is interested to come and join our school community Awesome. You can visit the website msmcatholic.org uh, where you can also see that phone number um, to contact uh, Judy about setting up a tour for your family. Uh, number is 214-337-0244, 214-337-0244. And um, you also mentioned that upcoming on February 17th, there's a student benefit banquet, which I'm sure if anyone's listening, they could also attend and maybe get a feel for that community you said it's like your family and I can just tell well being there for that long I think (laughs) you clearly love it so much and that passion will go down into the whole community Um, so talk about the student benefit banquet absolutely our student benefit banquet is Saturday February 17th it is at Brookhaven Country Club and um, we invite anybody who would like to be a part to, to see and understand who our school is. The purpose of the banquet is to raise money for financial aid, for tuition assistance. Over half of our families receive tuition assistance, and um, and we want everybody who is able to, to be a part of our school and um, to have the opportunity to attend, no matter what their financial circumstances are. Perfect that you answered my next question. So uh, you can be part of that and helping uh, families be able to attend. And again, there's always options that can be explored. So please just reach out to the school, msmcatholic.org. And that's also where you can buy the tickets for the student benefit banquet on the 17th of February. It's called Carnival Night is the theme I'm seeing. Um, So that'd be a lot of fun to be able to come out and just get a feel for the school as well. Um, I forgot to ask you at the beginning, how many students are you all at right now? 
Well, we started the year with 162, including our toddlers. We are now up to 167 for this school year. So we have have grown. I will tell you, um, with COVID, things got really scary for a little bit. We got down to 86 students, and we have steadily grown since then praise the lord that's a beautiful and is there a capacity or you know can you it's a pretty big property but you'd have to maybe build more space or that's a great question (laughs) so maximum is about 207 to 10 in the space that we are in but there's always um there's always opportunities awesome well, hopefully we get you so flooded that you have to explore those opportunities with some more <laughs> students this next year. Again, we're talking about Mount St. Michael Catholic School in Dallas. You can visit MSM Catholic. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 